at SAFM Radio and at Mesh Constant on SAFM. It's 11 minutes past nine, and as I mentioned, our guest today is Iman Rapetti. And uh, we've got lots of fanboys and fangirls tweeting and sending in messages. Rocktober Bay saying, Beloved Iman, Jonathan Babadu saying, Hi, Mish, we're together from Pretoria Sunnyside and waiting for her. So there we go. She's on the line with us right now. Iman, thank you so much for joining us. Michelle, good morning. Oh my gosh, I'm so blown away by those tweets thank you beloved <laughs> it's wonderful to be on the airwaves again it's wonderful to have you on the airwaves as well iman we always like to choose um uh, talk to people and and really talk to how they choose their songs for this particular show how do they choose their songs how do they choose their guests so let's start with uh, your first choice of song <laughs> open arms well i just i love Cesar, and um it was uh, on kendrick lamar's album um the black panther album that i first heard all the stars uh all the stars are closer and i just loved her voice and so i've been following her music ever since i'm a big open road fast car kind of woman so <laughs> the, accom- the perfect accompaniment to that is great music because it just you know kind of allows the miles to go by much more smoother much more smoothly and I really enjoy good music and I, I like her vibe. Didn't you? Did you like it? I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Thought it was a great track. So I have to say, you know, as you said, Open Road, my mind immediately sort of flashed to the journey of life. And then you go Open Road, Fast Car, which is why I had to have a bit of a giggle because I'm like, yeah, actually, yeah, I can see a man being an Open Road, <laughs> Fast Car kind of a girl, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Iman, I love that. You mm. hail from uh, uh, my part of the world as well, Etiquani, Durban. And I was interested to read um, about your journey, but your journey through religion and, and, and how you shifted and changed. You moved from Christianity to Islam, how you shifted to something else past that. And I, I wonder if you could talk to us about that. It's such an interesting conversation given the kind of uh, politics of the world right now. Yeah, it is. And it's um, it's a difficult and personal conversation. And what for me is so stark is we, we keep changing. We are creatures uh, that are organic. We relate mm. to our world. We engage with different points of view. And so our points of view, our consciousness, our mentality continues to evolve in the same way. Uh, those were big leaps. Those were quantum leaps for me in my life, um, moving from very devoted Christianity. I loved my church. I loved Living Waters in Greenwood Park. Spending a year in a folksy bus with my then would-be husband, learning about comparative religion, and then exploring the world of Islam, going to Iran, trying to study to be, um, you know, a a judge um, and and a dispenser of law, and then leaving that and going to work for the public broadcaster, coming back and making this journey into my next, which would be a life without God, essentially. These are major things, Michelle. You know, religion and God are such close things to human beings. They're the closest thing that we have outside of family. And so to make those changes came at a great personal cost. Uh, um, But I I, I don't regret that. I've always tried to keep my mind and my heart open to what I was learning and and what I was observing in my environment. You talk about great personal cost. And um, I, I wonder when uh, someone shifts a religion, and I'm agnostic, I, my family was not brought up with a religion, so I'm, I'm asking, I suppose, to learn for myself. Does that shift happen? Is it a fulcrum moment, that it's like a moment that happens immediately, 
Or does it happen over time? It feeds through by incidents, by the way things you're reading, the way you're thinking. You know, they say that change happens very slowly and then at an inflection point, it happens quite quickly. Like you you didn't even anticipate it. Yeah. The biggest moments in my life were incremental, incremental, and then suddenly very fast and there was almost a perpendicular shift from whatever I had believed in prior. But it was never, it wasn't rash in that sense. It might have seemed like a moment, might have seemed like when I remember standing in my mother's kitchen in Peter Maritzburg, my stepfather and her in the kitchen saying, wait till your 23rd birthday before you make any decisions. And I'm like, what is a year going to do, you know, to change my mind? Uh, Because at that moment, I told them I'd just become Muslim. I was resolute and I was going to go to the Islamic Republic of Iran. And that's where I was going to live. And they couldn't wrap their heads around it because they didn't see that change had been coming for a while. So, yeah, for for our families, if if people aren't with you for those micro changes and, and watching you, you know, slowly kind of emerge from your own chrysalis of consciousness it can seem very fast and jarring to them i want to um talk to you about family in a moment but uh the last thought i i wanted to sort of ask you about in this particular space is you wrote this really i found it uh, really profound i keep looping back to my own hard but clear decision religion and all its teachings have wrought enough damage on the world and we are better off taking responsibility for how we serve to be heaven or hell for each other right here on earth and then you wrote, I long for the path of belonging of the non-believer. And that really sort of flagged something for me, the idea that the, the sense of belonging that religion can give you, but how one needs to find one's community if you are a non-believer. Yeah. Oh, Michelle, wow. Why did you pick that thought? Because not 20 minutes ago, I was having this discussion with someone. I know it's Sunday morning, but we were having this really deep discussion and someone was saying how psychologically beneficial places of worship are for people in a world where we're becoming increasingly isolated, increasingly depressed and anxious. Mm. That church and mosque and temple give you that moment to feel a sense of community, to kind of heal yourself and and then get thrown back into the world for the next week until the next meeting. And for non-believers, we don't have that. We don't have a group because, you know, (laughs) there is no church for the non-believer, essentially. Um, and so we miss out on that, that I think, which I think is a blessed opportunity to converge with other like-minded individuals, to commiserate, to give each other strength and succor. And obviously, starkly in the religious context, this notion of God will make it all right and will forgive you. And, and so you can carry on. We don't have. So hence the sentence, we wear our right and our wrong right here in this existence. And that can be very, very tough mm. because there's no one you can blame or there's no one you can really turn you know, turn to. You you have to wear it now. You have to be accountable. There's religious faith, but there's also spiritual faith. And and it, it sounds to me that you might be moving into a space of your own spirituality, like a profound space of how you enact in the world, how you live in the present. Are you someone who is living in a positive? Are you living, as you said, as someone who's a negative? Do you see it in that way? Um. I hope I'm understanding uh, your question um, correctly, uh, Michelle, but sorry, just just, just repeat the thought. So so I was just thinking, you know, we have religious faith, which is framed very strongly by the religion, but there's maybe also a spirituality or a spiritual faith, which is more framed by how you feel in the present, how you act in the present, Mm. etc. And I'm wondering if that is the journey that you're on now. I think I've, I've... 
it's been a war to be honest in this moment because um you know i have a very lateral vision um or linear vision of existence which a lot of people in my position do it begins and then it ends and that's the end of it and maybe you know because our energy can't be um you know uh, created or destroyed it can only be transformed then what does that transformation look like where does where does our energy go are we just grounded into the earth and then that's the end of our story Hmm. um so so there's that conflict around that part because i do feel like and and primordially we've always yearned for something more we've always looked to the stars we've always looked to the heavens it's there in the cave drawings it's there in the hieroglyphics it's there everywhere uh from our ancestors so so what is it and and this is the conversation i actually think it's quite a beautiful one michelle because i don't know i know that i feel things for people i can feel people's energies um it relates to me it talks to me what is that uh, is it is it explainable in science or have we not got there yet? Um, who do I talk to when I'm in crisis? I do sometimes send a shout out into the ether. You know, I'm like, help me, <laughs> help me. <laughs> Maybe it's the ancestors. You know, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Iman, we have to go to a break. But when we come back, you mentioned right up front as we started the conversation how personal to have these conversations is. And you have done some really, really personal in your book, Sermons of Soul. You, you've, you've really spoken about the personal and it makes, it, it opens up someone to being extremely vul- vulnerable when you start to, when you're a public figure. So I'd like to maybe just talk about that a little bit after the break. And our guest today is Iman Rapetti. We all know her. We know her from TV. We know her also from radio and also as an author as well. Now, she put together a book a while back called um, Sermons of Soul. And in it, she had a series of the conversations that she uh, spoke about and wrote about when she was on radio. And Iman, as I said to you, you know, you mentioned the idea of the personal. And yet as a public figure... You, one becomes incredibly vulnerable to raise um, very personal topics in the public space, uh, etc. Yeah, Michelle, and, and you know this well as well, because you've been a broadcaster for many years. If we're asking the public to do something for us, if we're asking them to tell us their stories, we have to, you know, it's, it's kind of a trade-off. We have to do the same, because in our vulnerability, in in whatever it is that we're experiencing authentically, we we give permission in a way for other people to do the same and to reciprocate with their stories. And so the deepest moments I've ever had on radio were those heart connections that you make, you know, where you can, in inverted commas, see your audience. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to do, but I think you have to. Why? Because we're asking for them to tell us how they relate to their society, to their environment, what happened in their lives, what makes them who they are. Yeah. And in order to have that honest, you know, feedback, we, we have to also put something on the line. And it can be, I mean, look, it, it's, it's not easy because no, as you say, you, you, become a, you become a public figure and then everyone's suddenly very curious about, oh, you know, about you. But it's a risk we take. And, and for me, it's always been a beautiful, sweet risk with, with the audience that I had on power because I, I found that audience very unique as well. They were willing to go there with me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that if you're able to offer yourself in that space, it really does, as you say, allow for a conversation which is much broader and much more profound. And I just want to, um, this is for our listeners, is is Ash just sent us a WhatsApp 
um, with regards to all the conversations we've been having today, the Geneva Convention, we were talking to Prof. Tuli Maroncella, and he's just said there's a great article by Judith Butler, The Compass of Mourning, in the London Review of Books. And I want to say, Ash, thank you so much. It is, as you say, a profound uh, intellectual, textual, moral, and humane conversation. The Compass of Mourning by Judith Butler. And I feel like it links so much to the conversation that we're having with Iman Rapetti now as well. So thank you, Ash. Iman, um, you have a second song. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't want to. I don't want to like uh, project anything into your um, into the title of the song, but I'm wondering <laughs> why you chose. Well, which it. one are you playing? Sir, I'm curious now. Sir, you can't <laughs> save me. <laughs> 